Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. So as you have probably noticed, Lauren and I have been really interested lately in Lydia, in how responsible for her, her father and Lizzie feel, how much respect she is getting, whether or not... Her sexuality is a fair representation of a 15 or 16 year old, or if Austin is trying to say something about Lydia's sexuality and maybe say something specific and quite derogatory about Lydia's sexuality, we decided to just go to an expert on all themes related to women's sexuality. And that is Emily Nagoski. If you've been with us since the start of Hot and Bothered, you have heard Emily several times on our show. We are huge fans of her work. She is a sex educator, romance novel author, and writer of Come As You Are, the surprising new science that will transform your sex life. This is a book that I recommend to every couple that I have married that has a woman in the couple. She is also the co-writer of Burnout, The Secret to Unlocking the Stress Cycle, which is another book that I cherish and press into the hands of friends and acquaintances. And she has a new podcast also called Come As You Are. We are excited to talk to Emily today about the way that sex is characterized in Pride and Prejudice and the power of romance novels more generally. There is no one who speaks more intelligently on this topic. I'm Vanessa Zoltan, and this is a special episode of Live from Pemberley from Hot and Bothered. Hi, Emily. Well, hello. You are our most recurring guest on Hot and Bothered. Really? Yes. That's thrilling. You've been on every season. We just feel like we need you here to like remind us about positive sexuality as we talk about romance novels. I love that that is my role. Okay. So we are right in the middle of Pride and Prejudice and we are obviously thinking about it I would argue rightfully, is the most foundational romance novel for contemporary romance. Yeah, I agree. Invented the genre. First of all, just what is your relationship with Pride and Prejudice in general? I have chunks of it memorized. I read it over and over again. The Colin Firth, Elizabeth Ely adaptation, I think, is the version that brings all women together. I can have nothing else in common with someone And still, both of us love that adaptation. It's my favorite romance novel. Oh, my God. I had no idea. To be clear, we have had you on the podcast to talk about books you've never read. We're like, Emily, Twilight, 
And you're like, I don't know. Never read But we would still have you on. But Pride and Prejudice, I had no idea you had this deep relationship with it. I should have figured this out because you quote Mr. Collins in Come As You Are. Well, the thing is, he reads Fordyce's sermons, Uh which is this very famous book of sermons all about how... Like, if you go to the theater, you're morally the same as a prostitute and you're going to hell because you enjoy being entertained. And it, like, it would communicate so much to a contemporary reader of Jane Austen's that he was reading Fordyce's sermons and she knew it was bullshit and the reader knows it's bullshit and we can all understand who this character is because he made this choice. So it would be like saying, like, I'm on 4chan. It'd be like somebody who says that he's an alpha uh-huh. who is a 10 who intends to engage with a Stacy. You bet. <laughs> God, that is so troubling. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> but this is such a good transition to my big question because – so we know that, like, Austin thinks Fordyce's sermons are hot nonsense, right? Like, she not only hates them, but she knows that her readers, if they are reading a novel about love – They also know that it's bananas. Right. But then on the other hand, we have Lydia, and we're at the point of the book. We've just had what we affectionately call the ugly bonnet chapter, where Lydia is, like, yeah. so frivolous, she will even buy something that she doesn't like. And we are going to have her go off with the officers to Brighton and, like, quote, unquote, fall, right? Mm-hmm. And so I'd love for you to just, like, think out loud about Lydia as a character, because Austin hates Fordyce's sermons, but is absolutely slut-shaming this 15-year-old girl. I don't know if that's true. I do know that she has Lizzie Mm -hmm. anticipate that something really big will happen that will, you know, make herself and her family ridiculous. That the shame of Lydia's conduct is not just going to interfere with Lydia's future, but with the future of everyone in the entire family. I resist the idea that it's Lizzie doing the slut shaming, but it's that she's like, we live in a world, the world has these rules. Is there a way we can avoid these consequences? So I love that answer. And like Georgiana is seen as different than Lydia. Yeah, she's absolutely the foil. Right? So like Georgiana's a victim and she's the perfect victim. Like she just thought she was in love with her older brother's best friend and like She gets whisked away, whereas Lydia is the most ridiculous flirt or is at risk of becoming the most ridiculous flirt. And she wants to go to Brighton and she's throwing herself at these redcoats. And I mean, Darcy saves both women, but don't you feel as though the novel is saying like Georgiana is the perfect victim and Lydia is wearing too short of a skirt and kind of had it coming? I mean, honestly, the whole thing for me is about class. Yeah. Which is just like how the rules were when you read the um, sex advice manuals of the 19th century. There are explicit, like in the 20th century, it's fairly implicit that like there are some women who are pure who need to be protected. And there are other women who are not pure. And they're the ones on whom men can slake their passionate lust. Yeah. Because men's lust is too much to be sustained by a single woman. That there are some women who put themselves in a position where they become the objects of men's lust. And there are other women who need to be protected and pristine and pure. And Miss Darcy 
is presented as being like honestly like too pure, too ignorant. She doesn't even know what she's getting into. It's really all about the money. Georgiana has 30 fucking thousand pounds. He's running away with her for that, not for her body. So do you think when Lizzie sort of begs her father not to allow Lydia to go, right? And the most determined flirt to ever make herself and her family ridiculous. Exactly. A flirt to in the worst and meanest degree of flirtation without any attraction beyond youth and a tolerable person. And from ignorance and emptiness of her mind, wholly unable to ward off any portion of that universal contempt, which her rage will incite. You think that this is just about, yeah, tell me. Do I think that Elizabeth believes these things to be real facts about womanhood? Yes, I do. Okay. I don't think that she is, a like, that she, like, recognizes as a sex-positive person that she lives <laughs> in a culture right. of sex negativity and wants to create a world where women are allowed to, like, have full bodily autonomy without abandoning all hope of being sustained by their own community. But I think that what she's saying is a reflection of the world that she lives in. And given how self-aware and sort of like meta-aware of her culture Lizzie is, I think her motivation in talking about it is honestly about protecting her family. Yeah. And I think that the consequences that she is fearing are real and she wants to avoid those consequences, knowing that the rules are what they are. And I mean, something we've been saying again and again is that Lizzie and Austin are like deeply progressive and are laughing at everything, but they're not revolutionaries, right? Like they're not calling for the house to be Absolutely. burnt down. And I think that that's like, you know, whether yeah, or not- Yeah, no, they're master's tools. Yeah, exactly. They're very master's tools, which is what it is. Can you just walk us through a little bit of that history that you were talking about? Because I feel like now we are still living in the wake of this like Georgian idea, right? Like we love Regency romance novels. Like we love this idea of women is pure, women is saying no. And so I'm just wondering if you can give us a little bit more of that history in the moment in time that Austin is writing. I think the reason why Regency romance is so compelling to us 21st century readers is because it is the moment of this point of transition. Because before the 19th century, there was a, um, you've probably read The Origins of Sex, which outlines the transition from the sort of 16th century and before narrative that women's sexuality was much more voracious than men's and had to be controlled, kept on a leash, which is all just sort of like fundamental patriarchal. This is a world where Men literally own women's bodies yeah. and they need their bodies to be pure, to be virgins in order to guarantee that they're not investing their resources in someone else's child. Because yeah. the role of men in that world is to go fight to protect what's theirs, their property, and that includes their women and their children. Mm -hmm. So the virginity of women is really necessary in order to have the offspring, their property, be truly theirs. Yep. And gradually women start to publish more and more, to have their own voices heard. And their counter-narrative is, uh, no. Yeah. No. We don't want all this sex that you are having. You made up this idea because you're so afraid of not 
owning our bodies and we don't actually want all this stuff. And so the opposite extreme narrative emerges that women don't want any kind of sex. Mm -hmm. The other piece that goes with that is a transition from a public idea of sexuality where the church is very much in control of people's sexual decision making and people absolutely should have opinions about other people's sexuality because they're breaking the rules and when someone in the community breaks the rules it puts everyone in the community at risk over the course of the so-called enlightenment that gradually transitions into an idea that sex is private that it happens in your bedroom and what you do is not something for other people to make choices and decisions and have opinions about. Mm -hmm. And of course, we are still living in a world where there are plenty of people who believe that if someone breaks the rules, then it puts everyone in the community at risk. Yeah. But before 1700, everyone believed that. So as we transition into the 21st century, we have the remnants of this that we are living with. The idea that like women's bodies need to be controlled and also the idea that women don't have any sexual desire and that there are two classes of women, ones who do want sex and uh, are basically like the disposable napkins of men's sexuality. Sorry for that grotesque imagery. And there are other women who are pure. And if they're well-educated enough, they don't have any interest in sex at all. The 19th century is the time of the consumptive wife. It's, it's a marker of middle-class prosperity to have a wife who not only doesn't have to, but cannot physically work. To have like a dainty, small, physically frail wife. This is the century where a woman's frivolity is her attractiveness. Emily, do you, you reread Pride and Prejudice all the time. You have this great duology romance series that starts with How Not to Fall. I highly recommend it to everybody. But do you think that rereading these stories like keeps these myths and ideas alive? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I am. And now please leave me alone so I can go reread it. I don't think it's bad that we reread these these classics of English literature, but that when they are taught in schools, they are almost never taught in the context of here's what the sexual norms and mores were at the time. Like, I should have known when I was first reading Pride and Prejudice in the eighth fucking grade that these are what the rules were. Let's talk about how the rules have changed. Have they changed? What's actually going on? Let's compare it to a romance novel of the 21st century. A good one. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. 
Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Okay, so just before we let you go, I happen to know that you have capital B, capital F, big feelings about the proposal fight in 2005, Pride and Prejudice. I would like to create space for those feelings. Oh, thank you so much. You're welcome. (laughs) So almost every adaptation gets this right. And the 1995 adaptation in particular nails it. But in the 2005 adaptation, Keira Knightley and Matthew McFadden, they do the scene, they do it to the text. And then, so she says, not only no, but never, because it's not just that you fucking ruined my sister's life, it's that you have been and always will be a total dillbag. Yeah. And then they make this eye contact and the camera circles them and they almost kiss. Now she is in an emotional state known as rage. It is an actual physiological state of mind that prepares your body to attack something that is in the way of you getting something you need. And what she needs is the physical health and safety and satisfaction and joy of her fucking sister. There is almost no connection between the rage space in our brains and the lust space. Like you can't get to the lust room from the rage room. You've got to heal from the rage, go through care and maybe also play or exploration. The fact that they made, they like, they have this like, they almost kiss tension. Think about it. I've never been so mad at my partner that I've wanted to kiss him. That you've been like, (laughs) but boy, I could really fuck you right now. Like, it does not happen in real life. And this reinforces the myth that it does. And that results in people having real life experiences like mine when I was, like, going on a first date with a guy. And I was like, hey, try to explain how women's orgasms work to me. I bet that was really helpful. Right? And I, like, I so I come back from this date and I go to work the next day and I explain to my friends, like, here is what happened. It was bad. And they were like, oh, it's going to go from, like, hate to love and lust. And I was like, no. So I just, I just need everyone to know that it's a mythology. If you feel like there's a direct link between your rage space and your lust space, it's because your culture lied to you and taught you that there's a door there and there is not actually a door there. I just need everyone to know that. Thank you very much for giving me an opportunity (laughs) to air my grievance. Also, they ruined Miss Lucas. Oh, I disagree. I love Charlotte in that movie. They make Charlotte buy into Mr. Collins. Yes. They only do that in one shot with her like liking his sermon. They did it though. They ruined her so that so that okay. Elizabeth no longer has her best friend. I will say Emily, we did a special <laughs> episode with Jenny Owens Young and Helen Saltzman about that movie and Helen and Jenny are convinced that it's actually a horror movie and it is a lovely way to rewatch that film as like he's yeah, that makes a lot more man sense. who constantly comes up behind her. Whatever, everyone, it works on me. I love that movie and will forever. I think it's so beautiful. I don't care. It's bad for me and it lies to me. And I love its lies. I can accept that. Emily, 
it is just like always such a pleasure. No matter what book we do next, will you come on in and talk to us about it? Yes. I hope it's one that I have such an attachment to. <laughs> but even if it's not, you know I'm going to have opinions. It's one of the many things that we adore about you. <laughs> so congratulations on Come As You Are, the podcast. You are like truly a beacon of education and light. And I'm just grateful that you're out there doing your work, let alone that you talk to us about it. Thank you. I love her so much. I will talk to Emily about every book happily for the rest of my life. We hope that you enjoyed this chat with Emily. We're going to be back next week with chapters 40 to 42 of Pride and Prejudice. But stay tuned until the end of this episode because you'll hear the credits, but then you are going to hear a preview of Emily's new podcast, Come As You Are. And it is really worth checking out if you love Emily. One percentile as much as I do. You are going to love this show. You have been listening to Live from Pemberley. If you can, please consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash hotandbotheredmompod. If you love the show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you are listening right now. We are a Not Sorry production. Our executive producers, Ariana Nettleman, and we are distributed by Acast. Thanks, as always, to our Jane-level patrons, Viscount Elise Kennegrottenham of Unicornia, Baroness Gretchen Sneegas of Breakfast Carbston, Night Molly Reel of Worcestershire Sauce, the Countess of Kristen Hall, Dame Leah B. of Pickleshire, Dame Becky Boo of Tiaralandia, and Duchess Biddy Higgins of Bubble Bath. Thank you again to Emily Nagoski for talking to us this week. And thanks as ever to our team, Lauren Sandler, Lara Glass, Margaret H. Wilson, AJ Yaramas, Julia Argy, Nikki Zoltan, Hannah Rehack, Courtney Brown, Stephanie Paulsell, and all of our patrons. Okay, everyone. So here's that clip of Come As You Are. Hi, Emily. Hi, Hi there. Emily. My name is Hi, Emily. Emily. And I'm, I'm calling in because... I have a question for you. The other day I realized I haven't masturbated in like six months and I just don't feel like my old self. You know, I get this question all the time. And mostly people expect me to say things like, oh, watch more porn and use fuzzy handcuffs. But actually the answer is sexual interest changes. All the time. And it doesn't mean that there's anything wrong at all. And instead of worrying about how sexual interest comes and goes, can we focus instead on whether or not you're experiencing pleasure in your life? I'm Emily Nagoski, and this is the Come As You Are podcast, where I answer questions about sex with science. In this episode, I want to introduce you to a really simple but radical shift in the way we think about sexual interest. Pop culture teaches us it's all about getting turned on. Movies and TV portrayals of sexual desire have led us to a collective misunderstanding about how horniness really works, as in how it works in our brains. So today, we're going to talk about the real way horniness works. <laughs> it's called the dual control model, and it is, in my opinion, one of the single most important, most life-changing pieces of research on human sexuality. I'm going to be answering a listener's question today, and bringing me that question is my producer, Mo. Hi, Mo. Hey, Emily. 
Here we are. It's our very first episode of the Come As You Are podcast. How are you feeling about it? It's thrilling. (laughs) Are you thrilled? I'm thrilled. I'm feeling really good. I also just feel really lucky to be on this show with you. Like, one, I'm, you know, somatically incapable of chill. (laughs) Like, I'm a very overeager person. But also, it's very special for me to get to work with you in particular, because I read your book, Come As You Are, when I was in college. I went to the University of North Carolina, UNC Chapel Hill. And your book was something I found on a suggested reading list, I think, in a women's studies course. (laughs) And I just fell in love with the message of your book. And I kept Come As You Are on my mantelpiece in my like off-campus college house as a symbol for everyone that came over to my house that like I own my body and I'm having sex for me and I'm pursuing my own pleasure. And it was a big part of like my young slut era. (laughs) And I really appreciate that uh, gift you gave me. That's amazing. I love that. I feel like it could not possibly be random chance. Like we were destined to work on this project together. (laughs) Yeah, your book really did change my perspective on so many things. And so when I heard that you were working on this show, I was like, please pick me, pick me. I was raising my hand really hard. I love that. Another reason I'm so excited for this podcast to exist because like I grew up in um, a small town in North Carolina and I had abstinence only sex ed Um, and I was a like unknowing at the time little gay kid and I basically was horrified and scared by the sexual education that I got or the lack of sexual education that I got but the little that I did get was basically like STDs can kill you and if you have sex once you're ruined forever and no one will want you after that. And that really, it affected me. And I think having real and non-judgmental information, like the the message that, that you have, income as you are, and in all your work, like having that out there actually makes a huge difference in people's everyday sex lives. Oh, yay. And I see my work as being the opposite of abstinence-only education, not because I'm like, everybody should have sex all the time. I think people should have sex when and how they choose to, when is right for themselves, but because I believe that sex need not be scary in our lives. I think that if we can embrace pleasure into our lives, that's really the whole basis of my work. It's the whole basis of the show, the prelude episode with Adrienne Marie Brown. Mm -hmm. If you haven't heard it yet, please go back and listen to it. Yes. That's really the foundation of everything we're going to be talking about. Hard agree. I put a lot of special love into the prelude. But this episode is our first episode where we're going to be answering a listener question. So we got a message on the Come As You Are hotline, 646-397-8557. I chose it because... It really speaks to the time we're in right now. Like the pandemic has changed a lot of our relationships with ourselves and, of course, with sex and with masturbation, but also just pleasure on the day to day, like just everyday pleasures and happiness. I think you're absolutely right. Rates of mental health struggles have vastly increased. People's sense of overwhelm and exhaustion and existential dread have (laughs) increased vastly just over the last couple of years. And is that going to interfere with our sex lives? You bet your bippy. (laughs) 
<laughs> right. Exactly. Yes. I wanted to pull a question um, from a caller whose sexual desire or horniness has basically changed drastically during the pandemic. All right. So here we go. Hi, my name is Sarah. My pronouns are she, her. I'm 34 and single, and I used to have a lot of fun with myself. Um, I had and I still have all these fancy toys, but over the last few years, it's like my desire to masturbate has just completely faded away. Like the other day, I realized I haven't masturbated in like six months, and I just don't feel like my old self. Watching porn does not cross my mind. Um, I bought this new toy to even help me get back in the mood, and I've only used it once. I don't even want to get out there and date because I'm just not motivated by sex. It sounds like work to me, and I don't know what's wrong. Like, by the time I get home from work, walk my dog, make dinner, I just want to sit down and watch TV, and I feel really tired all the time. And so I wonder if you can help me figure out what's wrong with me. This answer might shock you, but no, I can't explain what's wrong with you because there is nothing wrong with you. (laughs) Everything that we're hearing in this question is just Sarah's brain responding normally to an abnormal world, which makes it the chef's kiss perfect question for explaining the dual control model, how our brains process sex-related information. Mm. What science do we need to understand to answer this question for Sarah? Okay, this is thrilling for me. It's like I'm introducing you to my most famous friend. (laughs) Welcome to the dual control model. Dual control model means there's two parts, and the first part is that sexual accelerator that gets turned on. It notices all the sexy information in the environment. That's everything you feel with your basic senses, what you see, hear, smell, touch, taste, but also the things that you think, believe, or imagine, and also the sensations inside your body. The sexual excitation system, the accelerator, notices all of that, and it sends that turn-on signal that many of us are familiar with. But also, at the same time, in parallel, you have brakes that are noticing all the good reasons not to be turned on right now. Everything with your basic senses, the everything you see, hear, smell, touch, taste, and everything you think, believe, or imagine, and all the sensations in your body. It notices everything that's a potential threat, and it sends the turn off signal. So arousal is not just the process of turning on the ons, it's also, and more importantly, the process of turning off the offs. When people are struggling, the usual advice of how to deal with any difficulty around arousal, pleasure, desire, orgasm, the usual advice you hear is like, let's add stimulation to the accelerator, watching Mm -hmm. porn, doing role play, handcuffs, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that can work and can be great. But a lot of the time when people are struggling, it's not because there's too little stimulation to the accelerator. Mm. It's because there is too much stimulation to the brakes. Mm-hmm. Our listener says it's been a couple of years. What's been happening the last couple of years? 
<laughs> right. I don't know, a global pandemic where your breath could potentially carry a lethal virus? <laughs> that might hit the brake as like a good reason not to be turned on right now, as a potential threat. She says the dating feels just like a lot of work. Mm-hmm. No kidding. <laughs> The first time I heard this, Emily, this truly blew my mind. Me too. And what I especially love, so this is one of my favorite things about the dual control model, is that there can be some stimuli that both hit the accelerator and hit the brake. What? Especially someone like you who grew up being told that sex is, like, dirty and dangerous. Uh Uh-huh. Sex-related stimuli will activate the accelerator because it's sex-related, but also you were taught it's dirty and dangerous, and so it's also going to hit the brake. And what effect is that going to have on your sexual arousal, sexual interest? Whoa. That episode is called The Science of Horniness. You can find the rest of it by searching Come As You Are wherever you find your podcasts. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com